get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by our friend of the Blues Insider for The Athletic. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Yeah, real good. Let's just uh, solve all these problems in the next 12 minutes. Let's all do right, it. let's do it. Uh, let's start with this, JR. Why can't the Blues figure out how to operate with an empty net? Okay, so we don't have that answer. Uh, let's, <laughs> what's the next question? What is it? Is it is it amazing or what? It really is. And I never ever thought what however many 18 years covering this team that I'd be thinking about writing an empty net goal story. Like you just get to the point where, you know, each time it seems like they go out there and make a mistake or two and it's in the back of the net. Like obviously the odds are pretty high. You're going to get scored on an empty net, but not with some of these mistakes that they've made uh, through the, throughout the course of the year. What's it up to 17 now? I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. And they've, they've scored all of two while their, their net is empty. So the, the extra attacker is really working out well for them. It is not working out, <laughs> just like a lot of other things here. But yeah, so it's 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 been tough, and especially the two uh, circumstances the past two games where uh, not even getting a shot off. You're in the zone. Last night they get in there. I think I tweeted it. Uh, minute six, a minute six, and the only shot that you get off is the one that Shen has that's blocked. And then the other night in Colorado, obviously they uh, they didn't get a shot off. And I think it speaks to the overall issues that this team has, Jr. And we we've talked about them all year. It's not really breaking any news at this point, but. It's all connected, right? You can't get the sustained offensive zone pressure, which then puts more pressure on your defense, which then puts more pressure on your goaltender. And I mean, Bennington was outstanding for two periods yesterday, and you were able to kill six penalties off. I mean, it, it looked like they were going to play a good game, and then suddenly, once again, the third period happens. They gives they give up three goals in a period for the twenty third time so far this season. I'm just I'm running out of ways to describe the fact that they can't suppress goals, Jr. Yeah, no, you hit on it. It's it is all connected, and I realize you know I'm not uh, saying anything earth shattering here, but I've always enjoyed hockey for that reason because everything has to come together uh, for the team to be successful. You look at uh, baseball, and sure, that's a team sport for sure, but you go up to the plate and you got to hit the O2 uh, curveball. You know, it's on you, but in hockey. Uh, that's the situation. These forwards got to get back. The defensemen have to do their job, and the goaltender has to do his job. Of course, uh, Jordan Bennington did that last night big time, uh, but he didn't get the help uh, that he needed from, from the team in front of him, and that's what we've seen a lot of. And you know, I think the one thing that's concerning is you know, the past couple of years, you've gotten good play out of uh, guys, let's just throw out uh, Justin Falk. You know, but last night, tough mistake. He's got a chance to move the puck to the right, to the left, get it out. He flips it. 
uh, and it hits a, a jet player, Connor, and uh, it's in the back of the net a second or two later. Um, and there has been other mistakes. I mean, we don't need to, to name him, uh, but uh, there's been a lot of players who have contributed to that. And uh, the disappointing part is that it's been the veterans. I realize this is a lineup right now that is just, I mean, seriously, you look at it, uh, you know, whether you want to call it AHL, you want to call it a hodgepodge mix match lineup, uh, there's not a ton of good quality NHL talent on there right now just because of filling in for some of these injuries. Uh, but still, uh, these veterans should be able to lead. And uh, even Craig Bruby was questioned that a couple nights ago. So uh, just a really tough stretch for this team right now. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest. You can find his work over at The Athletic and follow him on Twitter. He's at JP Rutherford. All right, JR, let's get into kind of the nitty gritty of it. I, I mentioned to open up the show today, one of the things that I do think, like if you're looking for a silver lining, and there's not many of them right now, but if you're looking for a silver lining, to this five game losing streak and the way that they went into this break. It's that there's clarity. Now there's closure on the fact that I'm not sure that this was ever in question for Doug Armstrong, but it might've been for some fans. You know what the plan is now. This team has to sell. There's no doubt about it. They are a clear cut seller as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline. But with that in mind, you had a really good piece earlier today over on the athletic about what that means for Doug Armstrong over the next week or two as we are in the, the middle of this uh, this break for the team. What do you think Army's plans are for this break, JR, for any of our listeners that have not read your piece yet? Well, just a little context here. What I like about what I do now is I'm not writing during the game. I'm watching the game. And then when the game's over, it's a clean slate, purser's blinking, you know, empty file. And BK, I'm just sitting there thinking, okay, what's important right now? Not always what are people talking about, because if you follow what are people talking about, sometimes it can lead you down, you know, a, a tough path. Uh, but I think right now people were just okay. You know, I, when I wake up tomorrow, I want this roster to be ripped up, <laughs> and I just don't think that, you know, that can be the case. Now I also have to provide this context. When I sit down and write the story I did last night. I don't have any knowledge that Doug Armstrong may or may not be making a trade today or tomorrow or next week. He could very well make a trade during this 10, 11 day uh, break. But as I sat there and assessed the situation, uh, I, I looked at it like this. Okay. Fans are upset. They want the roster ripped up, but I don't know that it can happen in these next 10 days. First of all, as you guys mentioned, you got O'Reilly's not even skating to my knowledge yet. He told me last week that he was going to get some more images taken this week, and that would determine when he could get back out on the ice. And then furthermore, uh, you got a situation where our team's ready to pull the trigger with the Blues. Does it make the most sense for Doug Armstrong to make a trade now as opposed to the 24, 48 hours leading up to the trade deadline? on March 3rd. I think it's probably better if he waits and you get a couple teams that really want to get something done there right before the buzzer. So uh, as I see it, I don't think there'll be a trade in the next 10 days, especially involving those top two guys, O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Uh, could there be something with Barbashev, Achari, Mikula, you know, those types of guys? Uh, sure, but I don't think that's going to be anything that changes the complexion of what the Blues are doing. So that's on the trade front. The other question that I've got for you, JR, because one of the things that I've talked about a lot with Alex is, okay, if you can re-sign Achari, be willing to do that. that. I mean, he's played very well for them this season. He can play up and down your lineup. It's not going to break the bank. He's He's a guy that you'd like to keep around. But I want to know that I've got that extension in place first before we get to the trade deadline. And if you can't come to terms then I would probably deal him. 
Do you think that's something that uh, Doug Armstrong is going to be doing during this 10 day break is looking at, okay, what's it going to cost to keep Ivan Barbashev? And are we willing to do that? And if we can, let's go ahead and get that done now. Same thing for Achari and Ryan O'Reilly is somebody I know you talked about or talked with and wrote about last week. Do you think those are conversations that are being had this week? Yeah, I think they've they've probably already happened, and I think you know again you could see a resigning in the next few days. You know, if if not a, a trade, or you know, I, I think that here's the way I look at it: Doug Armstrong for sure has to know what those guys' intentions are. Uh, they are going to get uh, some phone calls. I'm sure they already have. And I think that if you don't have a deal in place with a guy like Barbashev Achari, if you can get a third round, maybe even a second round, in the case of those guys, uh, you have to go ahead and do it just because you're going to get an asset uh, for a guy who could not come back. You know, the one thing I like to say about those guys, just to kind of piggyback on your conversation before, uh, those guys are great players that can really help your team, Barbashev, Achari. But sometimes you have to have a really quality team playing well at the top of the lineup, talking about your top six forwards, talking about your uh, top four D for those types of players to really be able to take you to that next level. I'll use a guy like uh, Pat Maroon as an example, you know, so revered for what he brought to this team, but guys, if the top six aren't playing well and Pat's doing his thing, you know, on the third line, it doesn't show as much. He's not able to go over to the Boston bench and say, you guys are after, you know, he, he can't do that type of stuff. If the top guys aren't playing well. Same thing with like an Achari here. He can have a game like he did last night where he's all over the place and he's giving you the $1.25 million worth. But what does it mean in the big picture? So definitely if those guys aren't re-signed, which again, that wouldn't be a bad thing to bring Barbashev and Achari back. But if they're not re-signed, you're probably going to have some nibbles and you would have to uh, see what you could get uh, and flip them uh, before the trade deadline. JR, I want to go back to Ryan O'Reilly for a second. You know, we were just talking about leadership for the Blues, and you had the exclusive last week, and Ryan O'Reilly said, you know, there have been conversations, and he said he wants to stay here in St. Louis. Is Ryan O'Reilly more valuable to the Blues in the in the future as being on this team signing an extension and being a leader during this retool, or is he more valuable to the Blues if they move him and gain assets to help speed up this retool? So it's it's a great question, and I'll break it down this way, Tanner, is, uh, okay, so you see the Horvat return. And, you know, I think even the people in Vancouver, my colleague at The Athletic, Thomas Drant, said that it wasn't overwhelming necessarily. Now you have Kevin Weeks reporting today that Vancouver didn't even shop that deal around the league. They got focused on the Islanders' offer and went with that, and maybe other teams would have offered more. You know, do they, do they get better offers as they get closer to the deadline? That's kind of what I just brought up with O'Reilly and Tarasenko. So, you know, we can kind of softly compare what Vancouver got for Horvat to what the Blues may get for Ryan O'Reilly. We also have to keep in mind that Horvat's 27 years old, O'Reilly's 31, Horvat's eighth in the league in goals, uh, 21st in scoring right now. O'Reilly's got six assists and 16 points on the season. And and on top of that, he's hurt. So he's coming back. What are you going to get for Ryan O'Reilly? I mean, do you get a uh, a middling player, a middling prospect, and maybe a first-round pick? If you do, maybe you'll have to do that. But that kind of leads into your question is, is he and are the Blues better off to bring him back next season? I think that they could be, you know, given the situation that they're in right now, looking for uh, leadership, looking for players who can – kind of just keep this thing going in the right direction, but you have to look at his production. Is it tailing off? Uh, you know, can you expect to get 20 goals from Ryan O'Reilly? You have to get that kind of production to warrant bringing him back. And then the second part of that Tanner is what can you get him for? Can you get him on a two or three year deal? 
Uh, can you get him for $5 million, or is this a situation where he's going to want three or four years and five-plus million? I think that would determine to me uh, whether it's worth bringing him back and, and whether what you know about Ryan O'Reilly, uh, whether he can continue to deliver that to you for the Blues. If not, it probably makes more sense to move him. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. JR, earlier today I was listening to Darren Pang, and he was on with our morning show, and he was talking about how every night that he watches the Blues this year, he just remembers more and more the value that Alex Steen brought to the roster. And a couple of examples that he brought up were just like line changes, you know, where you've got a guy that I think it was Jordan Cairo that he referenced didn't quite get to the red line and it made Justin Falk, I think it was, uh, late on a, on a shift. He was trying to get off the ice and then he had to circle back and get back into his own zone and it led to a goal against. And it's just little stuff like that, right, where – it, it, that would have been something that Alex Steen in his mind would have held guys accountable for in the past. And he hasn't necessarily seen that in the same way this year or last. I, I am curious, Jr. when you hear stuff like that and you think about the leadership of the team, I am not questioning Craig Berube. I think Craig Berube is a good head coach that should be around long term. But we know how this works in the NHL. These coaches are hired to be fired when you hear stuff like that and, and you've been around this team long enough, is there a question in your mind as to whether or not Craig Burby is going to be around as long as you expected him to be when he signed that contract extension? Yeah, no, it, it's fair. Uh, first of all, you know, just uh, I can't hide from the fact that in my writing, in my tweets, things like that, I've been supportive of Craig Burby and the job he's doing. And I think that uh, the roster uh, probably isn't uh, a roster that a lot of coaches could take into a game and, and, and have success with. I just think that there's a lot of questions about this roster. So with that said, you know, you look at Craig Bruby and his situation, I think he's probably doing, uh, you know, a lot with what he's got. But at the same time, you have to be in charge of things. You have to be in control of things. Um, you know, we hear things that happen on the bench or, you know, things that, aren't being said or are being said or doors being slammed and bickering with the head coach, all that stuff. I kind of dismiss because you hear that with every coach. You heard it with Hitchcock. You heard it with Berube. You heard it with all these guys, even during the Stanley cup run. I mean, those are just guys being competitive and, and, and caught up in the moment, so on and so forth. But you know, yes, Craig Berube has to have a handle on guys learning. And when you don't have guys like Alexander Steen and Jay Bolmeister and those guys around, it makes it a lot harder, and it's probably a situation where the coach even has to be you know, more hands-on, which then leads to you're probably hearing his voice too much. So, so yeah, I mean, I heard Darren Pang say that, and you do miss tremendously guys like Alexander Steen. Unfortunately, you know, guys like him move on, and you don't have that influence on the bench and in the locker room, and it's up to some of these guys to do it. I know the Blues have guys like that with O'Reilly and Shen, but there's a new wave of players on this team who are being paid like stars and are going to have to grow into those types of roles sooner than later to, to gain that respect. And, you know, I think the blues are just kind of in a transition period right now with that and don't have that. Like we saw during that Stanley cup run. JR appreciate the time as always, man. Great piece earlier today over at the athletic. We'll be following you on Twitter at JP Rutherford and all always reading over at the athletic as well. Enjoy your week off and we'll talk with you again soon, man. Great to be on the Tanner Show. Thanks, Lachlan. <laughs> you got it. That's Jeremy Rutherford, our friend of the Blues Insider for The Athletic. Again, give him a follow on Twitter, at JP Rutherford, if you have not done so already.